With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club and this is your show. All City's players scored as many goals in their last international games as they have in the Premier League all season. For anyone keeping count, that's 10, 3 for Torres, 2 for Diaz and Foden, and 1 each for Mares, Rodri and De Bruyne. So we're looking forward to them all struggling to hit a barn door in a blue shirt this weekend. Welcome to today's Blue Moon podcast, where we'll be previewing Saturday's trip to Spurs and looking at the historic rivalry between the two sides. Does it all hinge on that Champions League run in 2010? Or does it go back further, like to a certain cup final and replay in 1981? Or maybe it's just the years of constant 2-1 defeats at the hands of Robbie Keane and Jermaine Defoe. Don't let me put words into your mouth. Later on in the show, we'll also speak to Optus Duncan Alexander to examine the numbers behind City's creativity this season, and we'll also put some of your questions to the panel as well. Speaking of the panel, joining me, David Mooney, for this week's show is City fan Dan Burke. Hello. And football historian Dr Gary James. Hi. So, uh, I mean, first off, Dan, I was saying there... um, uh, the, the number of goals that City's players have scored in the internationals, it's not quite as simple as that, is it? I mean, let's let's be honest, the, the international teams, Spain weren't playing a, a back five with a, with a four in front, were they? So that's that's why it's happened. Um, yeah, I mean, it, you don't want to read too much into that. I think it will sort of imbue them with a bit of confidence that, that perhaps they need um, some of these players, um, which will be which will be a bonus for City. Um, I mean, I, I'm not too concerned about this uh, this lack of goals thing for City. I think you sort of, um, I think it's been overplayed quite a little bit. Obviously, um, they haven't scored as many as as you would expect, but it's not something that I think is a terminal problem. I think you know a lot of it could be put down to the fact that they've been without Gabriel Jesus and Sergio Aguero for most of the season. I think they look, they're looking better already since Jesus came off the bench against Olympiacos, and and they, they look good against against Liverpool. All right, they only scored one goal, but they perhaps could have scored a couple more that day. Um, so I, I think it's going to sort of get back to normal um, in the coming weeks and, and hopefully we'll, we'll see a few more goals starting against Spurs this weekend. Well, I was going to say, Gary, of all the teams you want to face when you're not scoring many goals, it's probably not a Jose Mourinho side, is it? <laughs> no, no. Uh, yeah, I mean, Mourinho, obviously we know all about the parking the bus and all this, the stuff that's happened in the past. Um, but, you know, I, I always think we do okay against the Mourinho team. Um, you know, I, 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 I might be letting... I don't know, one or two games sort of cloud my judgment there. But I don't really, I, I like to wind Mourinho up. I like it when, when Mourinho is on that <laughs> touchline, he's scowling and he's getting upset and he's desperate to park the bus and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you, we don't, you don't want to face a Mourinho team at, at, at that stage, I suppose, if you're not scoring too many goals. But I don't know. I, I just think we'll, we'll, we'll do it. Well, uh, let's bring in Jack from the Rule the Roost podcast. Hi, Jack. Uh, welcome to the show. I, I'm, I'm interested in your take on Mourinho because I'll be honest with you. Um, I didn't think swapping Pochettino for Mourinho was a good move, but here we are. Spurs are doing all right, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, I think I think we seem to be doing okay this this season and post perhaps lockdown from from last year as well. It it started to look quite promising, really. Um, but I've 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 flip flopped on him quite a lot to be honest already um at the moment I'm quite liking him but 
you know, nil nil against Bournemouth at the tail end of last year, I, I was ready for him to go again already. So. <laughs> So swings and roundabouts, really, in yeah, that, in that sense. I mean, the, the big threat for Spurs has uh, this season certainly been Kane and Son. Um, they've they've definitely been getting the headlines. So what's what's changed with them? Has, has anything changed at all, or are they just? Is it just that that they've been consistent while the rest of the league maybe hasn't? Potentially, yeah. I think there's there's obviously a, a big factor in this is that Kane's probably for the first time in a few years fully rested um, and seemingly touch wood fully fit. Um, he's he's always been consistent. I think there's a there's a lot of revisionism about how Kane has fallen off in the past couple of years. Ultimately, Spurs have fallen off as a side, and I think Kane has suffered as a result of that. But he still maintained his consistency in terms of scoring goals and being the the kind of pivotal point of our side. More so with Son, I would say, that we've probably seen under Mourinho that he's, I think he's been treated as more of an asset by Mourinho. Under Pochettino, um, love him as I did, it, it seemed to be very much that everything kind of rotated around Kane in that in the attacking sense. We had that kind of fluid band of players and Son very much formed a part of that. They were the supporting cast to Harry Kane. But you get the feeling that under Mourinho, he's perhaps elevated Son and he's given him this position as in you are one of our superstars as well. You're a fantastic player. And I just think in a tangible sense, really, how he manages him on the pitch, we're seeing that Son seems to be playing more in kind of short bursts, whereas under Pochettino, he was essentially using a lot of his energy running around constantly in that final third, occupying different spaces. Whereas now it seems to be that he kind of hovers and waits to pick up passes from Kane or from anyone else in that supporting cast and use his speed, use his kind of explosive ability in these short bursts and really get at teams. And we're seeing, a, I think, a completely different side of Son now. And also, it probably just happens that he's peaking as well at the moment. So. Yeah. Uh, Gary, do you worry about City's ability to to deal with those two, especially at the moment, given, given certainly when you look at, at Rodri and Gundogan in midfield, it's it, it's never really quite worked for them. But that said, Laporte and Diaz are looking pretty strong as, as a centre-back pairing. Yeah, I think, I think uh, in terms of centre-backs, we, we're extremely strong at the moment. Probably the strongest we've been without Vincent Kumpner, because obviously he was such a major, major um, loss to us, really. Um, I always, I do always worry about Kane. I love, I love Kane as a, as a, as a, a Premier League player um, and internationally as well, of course. But, but Kane is the sort of player that, in, in a sense, if we had a target man like that, if we had somebody like that, we wouldn't be questioning the sort of goals scored. We, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd be um, celebrating what, what Kane's achieving for, you know, and, and I think, Kane has had a lot of criticism, but yeah, like like we've just heard, really, it's it's more about how Spurs have been rather than how Kane's been. Um, you look at his goal scoring ratio; it's incredible. And so any any de- defense, any midfield, he's going to struggle with a player like that. So I just hope we can, I just hope we can sort of quell him a little bit. Yeah, I mean, Dan, the the, the numbers from from last season. I, I, when you look at, at how City have, have have kind of moved through the Guardiola era, uh, the numbers from last season don't make particularly encouraging reading, given that Spurs had an expected goals of zero point four nine against City, and they scored four. Yeah, it was outrageous that game, wasn't it? I mean, 
City missed a penalty, didn't they? Um, they missed a great chance at one-one uh, to go in front. I think was it Gundogan missed an open goal. Um, there, was, so... there was a moment where I think Gundogan went round the goalkeeper, and City missed the open goal twice before yeah. then missing the target. And you just kind of go. That was the point where I genuinely, I think, I, I think at that point, I just tweeted, "We're never scoring again." <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, Zinchenko got sent off, didn't he? That was the real kind of like turning point in the game. Bergvine scored that amazing goal for them. So yeah, it, it, it was a bad day that you would like to think that they might have a bit more control of the situation this time around. I was going to um, say though, what's what's different now? Is it simply Laporte and Diaz? I think that's that's been a massive uh, part of it. Yeah, I mean Diaz Diaz has really confounded expectations for me. I'd, I must admit, I didn't see an awful lot of him at Benfica, um, but I wasn't expecting him to be this good this quickly. And I think he's been incredible so far. And, and the, the understanding that he's formed with Laporte has been brilliant. Um, Kyle Walker is arguably the best defender in the Premier League so far this season, um, if you can even really call him a defender, given how, how far up the pitch he plays a lot of the time. Um, Cancelo has been playing well at left back as well, which is as, as calmed the, the defence a little bit. Um, I think Edison's been playing well. And I think the pressing from the front has been a bit better from City this season at times. I mean, obviously, it's it's been hampered by the lack of fitness at times. And they've had to dig in in certain games, you know, against Liverpool at times. They, they were sort of digging in towards the end of the game when everyone was dead on their feet. But generally, they, they just they just look a bit a better defensive unit overall to me, City, this season. Is that a cost to the attack, though? Is that part of the, part of the attacking problem, maybe? I don't think it should be. If you look at the way they set up, they don't set up particularly differently to to how they have in, in recent seasons. I mean, I would be tempted um, now that that the centre back partnership seems to be pretty settled, rather than playing Gundogan and Rodri in midfield. I'd be tempted to go with um, Fernandinho and Rodri a bit more often, as they did against Wolves at the start of the season, because I think that setup works really, really well. Um, and City looked really solid that game. So um, didn't they that, do that against Leicester? Did they? I don't think so. Did they? <laughs> they started with that. Yeah, well, they started with that, and then they took Fernandinho off, and it all fell apart. Right. I guess. So. Well, there you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I'd agree with that. Fernandinho, you know, I, I think he needs to. He needs to be back in there. I love Fernandinho, so yeah, I'd, I'd go along with that. Yeah, um, Jack. There's there's one player that we haven't mentioned in all of this so far, um, who historically would cause City plenty of problems. Um, how's Gareth Bale getting on? Is he going to be fit for this game, and uh, and is he going to make a, a, a massive impact? It's it's hard to know really in terms of the the Gareth Bale fitness question because it's it's something that's you know been spoken about for the past few years, including his time at Madrid and now as to what an actual fit Gareth Bale is. Um, but you know I, he has played international football this week. He's come into contact with Matt Doherty, who has obviously you know since uh, been well tested positive for COVID. Um, he, you'd imagine he'd he'd play some part of the game, whether or not he'll start. We don't really know yet. We haven't seen much kind of consistency on that front with Mourinho. It's it, it. We did see the three of them start together um, in our last kind of big game. So chances are that he feels that Bale is in that place. We've heard a lot from Jao Sacramento, who's Mourinho's number two, saying that the numbers that Bale is posting in training now are are sensational. So we'll, we'll we'll have to wait and see. I mean, in terms of how he's getting along in general at the club, I think it's just fine. I think there's been a there's been a perhaps a reacclimatizing for Spurs fans in terms of some of them who perhaps were expecting the Gareth Bale that tore Mike onto pieces back again. Um but now there's this realization that he is an entirely different player. It's a different prospect. But 
what shines through most of all with Gareth Bale is just his quality. You you can still see it, especially when he's got the ball in tight areas, just with the ball at his feet. There's just an extra edge to him that perhaps players like Lucas and Lamella don't. Um, yeah. And it's you know it the signs are encouraging the signs are promising and he's he's linked up especially well with Matt Doherty down the right who as I've already said won't be featuring so that's that's one plus point for you anyway yeah Gary where where does going to Spurs stand for you in terms of uh, of difficulty because I mean, when you when you think about recent years you think of of the couple of five ones that City have had there and you think oh it's a it's a nice place for City these days but actually you know Guardiola hasn't won at the new ground yet he's he's got a you know he's lost three of his trips to Spurs out of five um it's 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 actually you know under, kind of understated quite a difficult place for City yeah and I, I think I don't. This the the thing with Spurs. It's it, they've always been this sort of, in a in a sense, it's a bit like the the, the sort of uh, a city of the past, if you like, in that you you expect Spurs to do something in terms of success and winning trophies and so on. But quite often they don't. But for us, I don't know. I don't know if it's whether. I I remember way back nineteen ninety. I went I went to White Hart Lane and it was just after World Cup. And we had Niall Quinn, who'd, who'd played well in the World Cup. And we had all these, you know, we, we thought we were going to get somewhere. And Spurs just ripped us apart that day. And, <laughs> and there's, just, there's just this thing about Tottenham. It's, it's one of those things that they're definitely a bit of a bogey team for us. Um, but I wonder if it's because, I don't know, there's maybe a, um, a sort of attitude that, for, from our point of view, that Spurs are this team that we... A bit like when we had to slay Manchester United, you know, in terms of moving forward. I wonder if Spurs are still that sort of team that through us, there's this sort of ghosts of the past that are always going to haunt us. And maybe it haunts Pep. And obviously the fact that Mourinho's there adds that other angle to it. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's just something about Spurs that I don't like. <laughs> I can't put my finger <laughs> on it. <laughs> Do you ever get the feeling that sometimes Pep almost doubles down on that sentiment though in that he so say for example the first leg of the Champions League a couple of years ago he almost seemed to treat Spurs as if it was just a, a banker that that he was going to just show up and win by playing a kind of weakened side do you, do you I ever think, feel that that happens I think for that Champions League game um just I, I think he looked at that one for the uh, in the context of the running and thought that's the game that we can afford to lose because we have a second chance at it and that's why I think he didn't bring De Bruyne, was it De Bruyne and Sane brought on in the 89th minute and it made no, it was like there's no point in doing this now yeah, um, yeah there's never a point never yeah. a point when it's that time is there you know so I mean Dan Dan, what do you think is there is there something in that um, possibly yeah I mean yesterday actually his record against uh, Mourinho he's he's beaten Mourinho 10 times which is more than any other manager and I think the only other manager that Guardiola's been more times than Mourinho is Manuel Pellegrini which is quite interesting so um <laughs> I think I think he knows how to play against Mourinho teams. Um, history would suggest so, um, but obviously this is quite a different animal that we're coming up against against Spurs this this weekend. You know that they are a team who um, had a really really good transfer window, um, have started the season really well, and look like they could be in the sort of title picture come the end of the season. So um, I think it's going to be a really big test for both teams early in the season. This one. Yeah, Gary, just before we move on from from the record at Spurs, do you know the only other ground that it's true for where City have played uh, at least two games and never scored? Go on, go on, tell us. Uh, it's Adams Park, Wickham Wanderers. 
Oh, the 90s. <laughs> the, there, was a, there was a League Cup game, wasn't there, there? And then, of course, there'd be the 98-99 season. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the only yeah. team to take six points off City in 98-99 was Wickham. There we go. Yeah. Well, um, it just shows you that, you know, Spurs hopefully we'll be like Wickham overall, you know. <laughs> <laughs> down, down out of the Premier League and not for not for City to worry about anymore. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, uh, Jack, uh, Dan mentioned it there that, that uh, you could be in the title picture this season. Uh, what's your take on that? Do you feel like, like Spurs could be title contenders? I don't know. I started to feel that a bit when we were cruising 3-0 against West Ham and then Spurs decided to remember <laughs> that they were, they were Spurs again. And, uh, you know, perhaps it's... Uh, it's hopeful that that happened early on in the season and we can kind of perhaps learn something from that but as you guys were touching on there from a city perspective I think really at the moment it's it's baby steps for Tottenham I think winning the league cup would be it's it's you know it's it's not going to be a huge success really I know that sounds kind of a bit you can't you can't come on this podcast and start saying bad things about yeah the I know cup. and especially considering we haven't <laughs> won anything for you know quite some time but I just mean in the overall picture comparing it to you know getting to a Champions League final and perhaps having the kind of the title races against Leicester and Chelsea the past few years I think there needs to be a kind of a reprioritizing for Spurs and as much as it would be nice to think we could be in with a shot of the title I think were we to be it's it's by default given the nature of this season but do I really think Spurs are in a place mentally or even perhaps personnel wise to really be considered a kind of title challenger against even a city in transition and Liverpool who have got injuries probably not Investing is one of the best ways to grow wealth over the long term, but high commissions and clunky products from traditional stockbrokers can make it complicated for people to start investing. Meanwhile, trillion-dollar companies get built, but very few people benefit from that wealth creation. Free Trade is on a mission to change that by breaking down these barriers and by opening up stock investing to everyone. While other brokers charge up to £12 for every trade, Free Trade doesn't charge any commission fees, so you can invest and keep more of your profits. The award-winning investment app is used by over a quarter of a million people. It's FCA authorised and FSCS protected and lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs and investment trusts, all without commissions. Free Trade has been the winner of the best online trading platform at the British Bank Awards two years in a row for 2019 and 2020. The intuitive design makes investing simple for any experience level, beginners and experts alike. You can start investing from just £2. Free Trade doesn't offer any speculative products such as spread betting or products with leverage and they don't do any day trading. They're all about long-term investing with a transparent pricing model and no hidden fees or inflated spreads. You can sign up for several types of accounts. There's the general investment account, a stocks and shares ISA, or you can sign up to Free Trade Plus with more advanced order types and a bigger stock universe. Self-invested personal pensions or SIPs are being launched soon as well. Just go to freetrade.io forward slash blue moon and if you register and fund your account you'll get a randomly allocated free share worth between three pounds and two hundred pounds and their shares like greg's right move or apple that's freetrade.io forward slash blue moon and don't forget that when you invest your capital is at risk the value of investments can go down as well as up and you may receive back less than your original investment 
I'm interested, Dan, because uh, I'm going to pull the curtain back a little bit here for listeners because uh, me and you are in a WhatsApp group where we're with a, f- a fair few other City fans. And we, whenever games are going on, we're texting each other about how we're, how we're feeling about the game. And you, I find, are quite upbeat about this season in, in the general sense, even though results maybe haven't been city in, in going in City's favour. You think of Leeds away, West Ham away, Leicester at home, that sort of thing. And we've all been a little bit kind of, well, I, I don't see it. I don't see City as title contenders this season. And you've just kind of gone, well, I'm just going to enjoy the ride. <laughs> yeah, well, um, the Leeds game was a bit of a turning point for me because, uh, well, the Leicester game before it was really disappointing and you kind of thought, oh God, City, are, they, they, you know, the, the, they're even worse than they were last season. It's it's going to be a long season. This. Then the, the Leeds game, I thought they played all right in, in spells. And after that game, I kind of thought, I don't think they've got what it takes to win the title this season, actually. I don't think they're as good as Liverpool, but... Is that a bad thing, really? Maybe they're allowed a bit of a transitional season. But since then, some of the performances, um, you know, not the West Ham game, for example, but but certainly the Liverpool performance, even though we didn't win the game, has made me think, actually, City aren't too bad after all. And in this kind of season where um, no one's going to be particularly consistent all the way through, you know, Liverpool aren't going to rack up 99 points again. I'm pretty sure of that. So I think City have got as good a chance as any of winning the title, really. I think it's just going to be about who can kind of control the chaos of the season the best. Yeah. I don't see why City can't do that, really. Well, that, that was my thinking. I was, I was starting to think, actually, have I, have I misjudged this? And should I, should I be more on the same page as you here? Because like, like, you said, like, like Jack was saying, he's, he's not particularly confident that Spurs are in a title challenge other than by default. When you look at City and Liverpool, City haven't been that consistent this season. Liverpool have been all over the place. They've got injuries. And then you, you, you ask the question, who else is going to win the league? Well, is it going to be Leicester? What, do, you, do, you have enough, do Leicester have enough in the tank to then be able to, to cope with the, with the schedule better than, than these teams? You'd say the same things for them. You're mm. not really sure. And then you're looking at Arsenal. And I'm thinking, well, again, they're all over the place at times with Arteta. So, so I mean, Gary, have I, have I misjudged this? I, I said he actually in one of the best placed teams this season. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's an odd one, really, because obviously we know about the crowds and and now that's impacting things. And actually, that in a weird way, that may actually be helping Spurs this year, because obviously, as we experience, when you move to a new stadium, it stadium, it takes time to to get into your routine and and for things to build up, and away fans make more noise at a new stadium for some reason, and all this sort of stuff. So actually, the fact that no fans there may have ch- have changed the dynamics of this season. So that's that's one of the things. Obviously, players are getting you know, coronavirus or getting tested positive and, and that's, that's, that's changing things as well. But I, I'm sort of, you know, obviously, uh, you know, I've done a load of research on, on like the seventies and the eighties and stuff like that. And this is more like a sort of mid to late 1970s season in that there are lots of teams that could potentially win this league. And all it takes is one of those teams to find that consistency and to just keep going game after game after game. And, you know, in the 70s, teams like Knott's Forest did it or Aston Villa did it again. Aston Villa did it at the end of the, the decade and Ipswich came close and, and City came close and, and of course, Liverpool won quite a few as well. But <laughs> but the, the thing the thing about it is that I, really, I genuinely think if Spurs or City or, or any of those teams at the top just get that run together, it's going to be, it's going to be a great, it could be a great season for them. And I, I, I sort of believe that this will genuinely be one of those seasons where we get to April and we still won't know who's going to win the league. We'll mm. get to April and it'll be 
two, three, potentially even four teams that still stand a really strong chance of winning the league. And I think City will be in it. I, I, I've got no doubts about that. Yeah, um, just just wait until the the, the, the two nil defeat at Spurs this weekend brings everybody <laughs> crashing back down. Um, Jack, give us some give us some hope. Where are Spurs weakest at the moment? If you what would you what would worry you if if you saw that it was City's game plan to attack you at a certain point? I think just literally to attack us would worry me. To be honest, it's it's. <laughs> Hands down our defence. Um, and I think this is, in terms of a lot of the talk about Mourinho teams and such, I think it's it's quite an interesting challenge for him at the moment in that his hand has been forced to probably play more expansively than he maybe would because, quite simply, we don't have the personnel in defence. Like, Toby Alderweireld's our best defender still by a country mile and he's nothing compared to the Toby Alderweireld we saw in you know the 16 17 17 18 seasons in our shirt and he, yeah i mean eric dyer's been pretty solid so far but it's still you know it it doesn't really strike fear into the heart of any <laughs> strikers does it really having to face up against eric dyer and we we started to see sort of green shoots of promise with the with the two new fullbacks in Regulion and uh, I probably haven't pronounced that correctly at all. I've heard about 50,000 <laughs> different <laughs> pronunciations of that name and Matt Doherty at the at the right, but he's he's going to be missing now. So we're going to have Serge Aurier probably back at, at the right, which is almost definitely going to be a penalty for you guys at some point. <laughs> um, uh, we've, we've given away four this season across two games, so uh, it could be penalties galore if we uh, if we carry on like this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it could just be one of... It, we could be in line for a, a really good game, I think. It could be just one of those who scores more type fixtures, I feel. Yeah. Uh, Dan, does that... I mean, when you look at the lack of City goals, as we talked about earlier, um, we're still waiting to hear on Aguero's fitness. I mean, if if there's even a, a even a, a chance that he's fit, do you put him back in there? Even though we know he takes a few games to get back into the swing of things, I wouldn't start him no, because I think I think Jesus is in good form at the moment. I mean, I've I've spoken on the podcast before that I'm not uh, entirely convinced by by Jesus, but the last couple of games I think he's been he's been good. He came off the bench against Olympiacos as I mentioned earlier and scored straight away. Took his goal really well against Liverpool, so he looks like he's got a bit of a point to prove this season, and this could be the the making of him. So yeah, I, I would I would ease Aguero in very gently, I think, and uh, you know if we don't need to throw him straight back in, then why bother? Yeah, Gary, you, t- you mentioned earlier as well about Fernandinho. He might be fit for this game again. Um, the, the other options around the front line as well are, are quite interesting because, uh, I, I mean, you, you'd always like to see a, a City side with Raheem Sterling in. And then Foden did well for, for England the other night. You know, Bernardo, it's, we've all wanted him to get a bit on the pitch a bit more. Mares was was completely unused in, in the Liverpool game and, and scored a, a decent goal for, for Algeria. So, I mean, who else do you pick around the, the, the front line? Well, you know, I like you say about Sterling. Um, I, I do worry Sterling still has that habit of sort of instead of just hitting the ball, sometimes he sort of hesitates, I and mean, I do worry about that. But but Sterling's a, 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 you know got to play. But but I love Foden's enthusiasm, and I think it's time that we saw more of Foden. You know, I know we've seen more of him, but seeing even I want to see even more of him. I think Foden really has got that. He's got something that that none of the others really offer at the moment. It really is this sort of tenacious, exciting, I, I, it, it, it just seems to want to give it his all. Um, Bernardo, I love Bernardo, but he's just not 
I don't know. I'm I'm a little bit worried that maybe it's because he's not had enough game. I don't know, but he's just not quite doing what I would like him to do when he's on the pitch. Um, but I do love him. I love Bernardo. Right, well, for many City fans, Spurs have been one of the sides that they just can't stand. Be it the years of travelling to White Hart Lane and returning with nothing, be it the 1981 FA Cup final and replay, or be it the chase for the Champions League in 2010. It's now a decade since the two sides were going head-to-head for that coveted fourth spot, and since we were all wondering if City would ever be able to make the step up. Sam Roscoe has been looking at how it was the games against Tottenham that marked City's progress. Just over 10 years ago, it was Tottenham that stopped Manchester City qualifying for the Champions League. Neither side had appeared in the competition before, and both were fighting for fourth in the table, when Spurs came to Manchester knowing a win would be enough. Peter Crouch scored the only goal of the game for the away side in the 82nd minute. And now Kabul got past Bellamy, deflected, and Crouch has scored for Spurs, and is that the goal that takes them into the Champions League? Richard Burns was at the game. It was horrible because their fans were in such good voice and, and so so ecstatic and, and celebrating. And our patch, when we wanted it so badly, it was... At that point, I, I guess it was almost like a cup final for us. It was, it was the closest thing we'd had to one where it was just a direct shootout between us and our opponent. The result meant City had failed in their two main objectives that season. They hadn't won their first trophy in more than 30 years, having lost to Manchester United and to Stoke in the two cups, and they hadn't finished in the top four. The aims were the same the following season and it began with a tough test at White Hart Lane. I think we started a little bit sloppy and we're a great team here in Tottenham and a, and a really hard place to come and we're happy to come out of it with a point. That's Joe Hart speaking to City TV. He was man of the match in a nil-nil draw as he pulled off a string of remarkable saves. He was heaping praise on the defenders in front of him though. When required they really uh, covered each other's backs well as Colo swept up and Vinny made uh, the block of the game for me you know when it was when it was squared to Robbie Keane it was unbelievable but I, I don't think you can think Alex and um, Zaba who both controlled that left hand side and get up against Aaron Lennon who's going to tear people to shreds this season and uh, I don't think they looked out of place and obviously Meeks was up against a very confident guy in Gareth Bale and I thought he, I thought he ate him alive when he got the chance. Mancini made a big decision that day picking the young Joe Hart over experienced Shea Given. Yeah yeah Shea's uh, I can't speak highly enough the guy you know he's, uh, he's an inspiration keeper wise and as a person he's great Someone I really look up to and someone I really respect and he's been different class and I'm sure uh, whether it's here or whether it's somewhere else he'll come again and, and really show what a fine keeper he is. That nil-nil draw was City's first point at White Hart Lane in seven visits and it showed how things were developing under Mancini. That season City would go on to win their first silverware of the Sheikh Mansour era, beating Stoke in the FA Cup final. But the week before that they made sure of Champions League qualification. And to do it they had to beat Tottenham once again. Peter Crouch got the only goal of the game once more, but this time he'd accidentally turned James Milner's low cross into his own net. After the game, Mancini was delighted. I'm very proud for this because I think that uh, tonight uh, many City supporters are very happy. Uh, I think that uh, the manager, the people, the players that work in this club did this for them because after many years 
Manchester City can play in Champions League. And this is very important for the club. When City next met Tottenham early the next season, it was clear how much things had changed again. Mancini took the handbrake off and City were light years ahead. The 5-1 at White Hart Lane was huge because it was Nasri's debut. Dzeko got a hat-trick. Aguero, still a new signing at that point, uh, scored as well a, a really good goal. I was ecstatic. You don't expect to go to go to a good Spurs team and win by that kind of score. So, um, yeah, I think you knew at that point that City had something pretty special going on. The Athletics' Jack Pitt-Brook is a City fan and he was in the away end that afternoon. It was just the most amazing experience because even though City had won the FA Cup a few months before and had obviously beaten Man United in the semi-final and that was... As we all know, that was a huge, huge event for the club and felt like a really transformative moment for the fans. I think we still didn't really realise how good City were. And so to see City beat a pretty good Tottenham team, like to hammer them like that at the start of the season, there was a real sense of like, Jesus Christ, like City are really fucking good. It was probably the marker that set the tone for the rest of that season. And obviously, like this was a few weeks before the 6-1 at Old Trafford. And then, of course, at the end of that season was the Aguero goal and City won the title and all that. Um, But yeah, that game at White Hart Lane was really eye-opening and exciting as a fan. City was just so good. In the years since, the rivalry with Spurs has certainly died down, though it has probably been stoked up a little bit by City's recent VAR grievances in a couple of Champions League and Premier League ties at the Etihad in the last 18 months. City and the fans have historically always had a bit of rivalry with Spurs, but perhaps it reached its peak between 2009 and 2011. Hi there, this is Joe Royal speaking. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. and Carry on doing so. For a pledge of $2 a month, you can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of city topics. There's more details on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. That's Sam Roscoe uh, looking at the rivalry between City and Spurs from about a decade ago. Um, I mean, Jack, I said there that, that City fans have traditionally always hated Spurs. Um, and I, I even I, I can't really put my finger on why, because I, I was born in 87, so I didn't even see the, the 81 FA Cup final. But all the way through my growing up, it was ingrained in me. Oh, Spurs, you don't like Spurs. You don't, you're a City fan. You don't like Spurs. Um, is the feeling mutual? Is it, has it been the same the other way? I don't think so. No, not really. I th- <laughs> if anything, it's probably it's probably shaped by something like that. The cup final, I'd assume. I was born in '85, so I don't remember it. But obviously, I've seen the the Ricky Villa goal played on a loop in countless amounts of FA Cup montages and such. Whenever it comes to us playing against you or just in the latter stages of the FA Cup, um, I think there was <laughs> there was uh, the the John Mac game that we uh I don't really want to go on about too that, much that was but... probably our only success there in about a hundred years <laughs> yeah and it, so that that's probably that was a bit of a stinger but no I, I mean I, I think I uh, speaking from my own perspective at least I've always found a bit of kind of affection I guess for City in the same way that I do with Everton in that we we've all kind of suffered at the hands of a 
you know, at, at times probably a more successful and a more lauded neighbour, which is something that I think we've all had in common, really. Yeah, the, the rebels to the empire sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. That, exactly. Uh, Dan, are you, how do you feel about Spurs these days? Because uh, when I think of, 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 certainly when I think of 2010 and, and what um, walking away from the ground, having not made the Champions League because of Peter Crouch, I... I don't think I've I, I, like. I think I've only ever hated Manchester United more at that point. <laughs> I've never felt that kind of animosity towards Spurs, really. Um, and I think I think a lot of it does come from the eighty-one final, doesn't it? And, and as you said, uh, I'm too young to remember that as well. So I, I've never really felt that. I mean, when they were going for the Champions League under Pochettino, I was sort of cheering them on, especially as they were playing Liverpool in the final. Lesser um, a two evil though, mate. <laughs> yeah, when they came back against Ajax, I was re- I was really happy for them that night. And I've got a few mates who are Spurs fans and things like that. So yeah, I've never had a problem with Spurs personally. I've never understood it. Yeah, Gary. How about you? Are you are you are you more on my side of it with uh, with, well, with the hatred? Well, you've you've all made me feel very old because I do remember the eighty one final. <laughs> um, yeah, um, the eighty one final. Oh, you know, because for City this was the big chance because we'd had a bad season before that with Malcolm Allison selling all our star players and and basically wrecking the club. And then we got this chance with John Bond as manager and the eighty one final. That first game. We, there's no doubt we were winning it and, and we were winning it. And it was down to that own goal. Tommy Hutchinson, you know, it was, it was, it was just awful watching that. I didn't go to the final. I was sat at home watching it on television. Um, and it was just awful. And it, 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 that, that then we had the replay on the Thursday night and, you know, it was a great game that, that replay, but it was never going to be ours. You just felt that. And, uh, my in those days the cup final was on ITV and BBC at the same time, and we were watching BBC. And my mum insisted at half time we turned it on to ITV because she said they were biased towards the London club. <laughs> <laughs> so we started watching ITV. Um, but it, that Ricky Vila goal, I I interviewed John Bond uh, well quite a few years ago now, and John Bond said it wasn't a great goal. <laughs> he said it was a, a number of defensive errors. And ever since then, when I've watched it, I thought, oh, John Bond's right. You know, it's the defensive <laughs> But But the thing about it is that City and Spurs, they've been, obviously, I'm far, I am too young to remember these, but in the 60s, the 67, 68 season, there were two really important games against Spurs, which helped City win the title. There was the famous Bally on Ice, it was called in December, where City ripped Spurs apart. And then the penultimate game of the season, City had to win, basically, and they beat Spurs. So, you know, that was a game at White Hart Lane that we actually won. Um, but I think what's happened, that that um, that game, the Peter Crouch goal and, and that game sort of reignited the, the sort of hatred of Spurs, really. Um, but I've got to say, in recent years, I definitely wanted Spurs to win the Champions League final. No question about that. Even after what had happened, you know, with the the, the, the Champions our Champions League game. Um, but I think we've we've started to despise Arsenal more in recent years because of what has happened with the way Arsenal have talked about City, a way they've tried to say we've got no history of it, we you know, we've just bought success and all that sort of stuff. So I think we've started to get bit, a bit more an affinity with Spurs over recent years. Um, but obviously you know, we'll we'll see how the next few games go to see if it if that lasts. Yeah. Um. Before we let you go, Jack, let's have a, a prediction for this weekend's game. We have a charity bet coming up a bit later on in the show. So, uh, what's uh, what's your score prediction for this game? I mean, 
I can't look at this game in isolation. I'm looking at it at, at the start of a run that's going to see us play you, Chelsea, Arsenal and Liverpool. I think we've got Palace thrown in there as well somewhere. And I just feel the way the way it's been going at the moment with Mourinho and a lot of the, the players, especially Kane, will want to make a bit of a statement ahead of that. Um, so I, I, I just feel weirdly confident about this one. But I think it's going to be high scoring. I think it'll be 3-2 to Tottenham. Uh, well, uh, just let you into a little secret. If you if you're right on that one, I think it, it, I think this is I think the odds are like this because that's City scoring two goals and the way they are at the moment. Uh, but it's twenty eight to one, so you'll add two hundred and eighty quid into the uh, into the charity pot if you're right with that one. So uh, uh, kind of fingers crossed, but kind of not as well. <laughs> Jack, thank you very much for for joining us on today's show. Not sorry, lads. Love to speak to you. Time now to look ahead at the game with Olympiacos. Um, all of the issues aside, Dan, uh, City, City have actually been looking quite good in the Champions League. As much as we say they're struggling for goals in the Premier League, they've been knocking them in for fun in the Champions League. Yeah, I mean, it's the same team, isn't it? So it's that that's the kind of, um, I guess, the argument against this, this notion that City have really been struggling in front of goal this season is that not in every competition. <laughs> um, the Premier League, they might have struggled, but you know, perhaps you look at the the standard of opposition is is slightly higher in the Premier League. I mean, I, I thought when the draw was made for the for the Champions League that we had a really easy group that we would breeze through, and and so it's proved so far. And I mean, if they um, what is it? They need one point to, to qualify now. If uh, yeah, one, if they, one if point got... will qualify. Uh, three points doesn't quite win the group, um, mm. depending on the other results. So yeah, we've never had any issue in the in the group stages under Guardiola. It's been a long time since we've had to worry about that, isn't it? So um, I, th- I think it's going to be a case of them probably just getting getting it done um, in the next couple of games, and then perhaps they can they can rotate a little bit for the the um, the last game of the group, and then uh, hopefully transfer that uh, form from the Champions League back to the Premier League and and start re- banging in the goals again. Yeah, I was going to say, Gary, though, it's interesting because these these three Champions League games that they've got coming are arguably not really that important now because they're, they're, they're as good as qualified from this group. So it's almost like like the eggs need to go back into the Premier League basket for a bit. Is that Does that make sense? Uh, to some extent, but I'd, I'd like to see us finish it off, you know, get get a victory over Olympiacos and then we can we can rest easy. Um, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm still nervous when it comes to Champions League games with City because... I don't forget that season was it we got 10 points and didn't qualify. So yeah. I know, I know I know we've more or less done it and we will do it. But um I'd like to see us get the victory, finish it off and then we can assess the situation for those coming games in in future weeks um and play, you know, a, a more a, a more of a second string team. But I'd like to see us get that get that result first. So I mean would you fall into the camp then of uh, uh, uh kind of get the strongest team out there and then get those players off especially because there's five yes. subs in the in the Champions League so you can I mean you can practically swap half the team in a Champions League game. Yeah, I mean I, I often think when it comes to any of the competition like the League Cup or the FA Cup or whatever obviously I understand we might not want to play our strongest team but when it comes to some of the crucial ones you know uh, so uh, whether it's the Champions League or later stages of F- FA Cup or whatever my my view would always be get those go get the best team on to start with get those goals set them off especially yeah. if you've got five substitutes i just i just think that we sometimes we end up we don't we play a, a weakened side we go behind maybe two goals behind in some cases and then we've got to send our, our stars our real stars you know like kevin de bruyne has got to come on or aguero's got to come on or whatever and then we, 
and then we're chasing the game. I'd rather finish the game, take them off. Yeah. Dan, uh, I mean, there is the other argument, though, of course, that, that games this season are going to be thick and fast. So maybe it's a case that in every single game, there needs to be an element of rotation to rest players. Yeah, possibly, yeah. Um, I mean, we have the squad to do that, don't we? And Guardiola, I think he is quite good at rotating. Perhaps he rotates a little bit too much at times. And with the five subs in the Champions League, which I think he's going to be coming to the Premier League soon because they've they've announced that for the um, the Football League now. And I think the Premier League are going to follow suit. So I think Guardiola is going to get his wish um, in that regard. And, and, uh, and yeah, hopefully um, give, uh, you know, players who are coming back to fitness like Aguero would be a good good opportunity to get him sort of some minutes under his belt and get him firing again. Um and and yeah, like like Gary says, I, w- I would like to just see them get it done now and then and they can relax and, and start thinking about the uh, the knockout phase next year when we'll we'll get knocked out by someone who's not as good as us because Guardiola <laughs> will make a stupid <laughs> tactical decision. Uh, I, I was gonna say in all of this, uh, the last thing you want when it comes to the knockout phase is is fatigue affecting players as well because it's just we're in a position where uh, City have uh, seem to struggle with the knockout phase anyway. Um, so, uh, how much is fatigue? Do you think affecting City this season so far, Dan? Um, massively, I think. I mean, it's. I've watched a lot of Premier League games this season, and I don't think I've really noticed anyone else struggling as much as City have. I think maybe the fact that we started our season um, a week later than everyone else might have had an impact. You know, we didn't play any preseason friendlies at all, as far as I'm aware. I don't even know if they played anyone sort of behind closed doors, really. Um, I mean, all games are played behind closed doors. <laughs> you know, what I mean, secretly. Um, so. You know that the Liverpool game, they they look really tired as well um, towards towards the end of that game, um, and I don't see when they're going to sort of catch up fitness wise, really, because as you say, they're sort of playing three games a week every week. Then there's international games. You know, there's players going to be dropping out all the time when they've got coronavirus and that kind of thing and muscle injuries are coming thick and fast so I think we might have to um, get used to the idea of it being like this all season and maybe the five subs thing will alleviate the pressure on the players a little bit I hope so certainly Um, but yeah I think it could be the story of this season that teams are just not going to be you know firing on all cylinders at any point. Yeah, I mean, assuming City get through to the knockout phase now, Gary, given that they're, they're in prime position to do it, um, how do you think that they can improve on Guardiola's recent years? Well, I, I think I think Guardiola's made. Well, we know he's made made some mistakes in the Champions League. I think if we actually stuck to our our, our formation, our style of play. And not worry too much about some of the opposition. I think he's he's given some of these clubs too much respect at times when we've got through to knockout stages. And I think we've got a squad that is more than capable of winning the Champions League. But somehow the tactics on the on the day it has been changing them when it's come to when it comes to those crucial points. And he shouldn't do. He should just go out there and 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 go for it and and stick to stick to what we normally do. Um, is, is there not a bit of you though that's that's a little bit excited to find out what goes wrong this year? Like like <laughs> like against Liverpool, it was those bad decisions, and we and oh VAR will come in and sort that out. Then against Spurs, it was the VAR that was the, that, that that knocked us out. And then last year, obviously, you know Guardiola had that mental mental meltdown against uh, against Leon. So I mean, it, it's it's fun to find out something. What what's going to be the thing this year? You know what it'll be. <laughs> What this is what it'll be. Fans will be allowed in for the crucial sort of semi-final or something like that. We'll be allowed in, 
and will have forgotten how to make noise and it'll be <laughs> deadly silent and the players will be lo- like looking at each other and be like what's going on here and and that'll be it it'll just be a flat way of ending it <laughs> yeah <laughs> right uh, well time to check in with the charity bet each of the panel is getting a 10 pound correct score single on city's games from william hill the winnings are going to the christie a cancer treatment hospital in south manchester so far we've raised 170 pounds so let's get some predictions on the board for this week's games we've already heard from jack that he thinks spurs are going to beat city three two this week which is 28 to 1 and 280 pounds if he's right. Uh, Dan, what's uh, what's your score prediction for Spurs? Fancy a 2-1 win for City. Uh, that's 7 to 1 and 70 pounds. Go on, give us your Olympiacos score as well while you're at it. I'm going to go 4-0 City. Uh, that's 14 to 1, so 140 pounds if you're right. Gary, what are you what are you having for the trip to Spurs? Uh, I think it's going to be a 3-1 and being positive, yeah. 3-1 City win is uh, yeah. 11 to 1 and that's 110 pounds uh, and Olympiacos uh, well, we always score three in the Champions League, so 3-0. Three 3-0 nil. Three nil is uh, 15 to 2 and £75 if you're right. Uh, obviously, Jack hasn't given us a prediction for uh, City against Olympiacos, so I'm stepping in and doing that one. Uh, I've gone for 2-0 because 3-0 and 4-0 were taken, and uh, that's 5-1 to one and £50 if I'm right. Uh, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. Please gamble responsibly, and for more information on responsible gambling, have a look at begambleaware.com. Now, we've talked a lot this last 18 months about City's struggles converting chances and a bit this season about how it feels like they're finding even creating chances difficult at times this term. To find out just how the numbers stack up, I've been speaking to Duncan Alexander from Opta. Well, normally in this situation for a team like City, particularly in the last few years, you would say it's just it's been wastefulness. But unusually, I think it isn't that. You know, I mean, as you said, it's been bizarrely the last time you scored more than than a, one goal in the Premier League game was that defeat to Leicester, which obviously if you let in five, scoring two doesn't, not doesn't ideal. really help. But um, <laughs> not ideal in the, in the classic, you know, numerology scheme. But yeah, I mean, City are really, really uh, low for, for chances created this season in terms of quality. So obviously we've got expected goals, which is a, a measurement of, of chance quality. Um, and City are bang in mid-table at the moment, albeit with a game fewer than, than most teams. But they're on 9.3 XG, which is actually lower than Newcastle, lower than Brighton, lower than West Ham, um, which is not where you'd expect uh, them to be at this stage of the season. So that points to an issue. And, and I guess where that issue stems from is you know, is the discussion in a sense. Yeah, I mean, just just looking at, again, just the goals scored, um, you mentioned uh, uh, like City have a game in hand, so you, you do have to kind of take that into account. But, ju- but it, I mean, looking at, at the list of teams that have scored more than City this season, you've got like Chelsea, obviously, running away with it on uh, on 20, uh, Spurs on 19, Leicester, Liverpool, Aston Villa on 18, Southampton, Everton, 16, uh, even West Ham, Leeds, Crystal Palace, United, Brighton. These teams have all scored more than City this season. Yeah, it's it's unusual. And I think everyone knows that this season is an unusual season. And I'm sure that, I mean, we've sort of seen it in the last few weeks. There has been a little bit of a, a kind of regression of the back to the norm from the big teams. I think a lot of the big six have kind of gone after the first few weeks of the season. This is insane. You know, like Liverpool losing uh, 7-2 at Villa and, and United getting thrashed at home to Spurs. I think a lot of clubs are like, hang on, we can't, this, this can't really go on. But... For me, I think I wonder whether the cities is not a it's not an ideal approach or outcome, but I wonder if it's something that that Pep Guardiola has actually tried to do in a sense, and, and maybe it's not quite working. Because if you look um, historically at, uh, at cities' expected goals, um, so last season was was their absolute peak, two point five a game, which is you know which is 
incredible. You know, to to you know, most teams, if you score three goals in a game, you'll get an XG of you know between one and two. You know, to get two point four a game is is really impressive. But it very much spoke to that season last year, where you know you could beat Watford eight uh, nil, but then lose quite a lot of important games and really lose ground on Liverpool. So I wonder if he's gone. You know, we we were incredibly creative last season, um, but we need to tighten up at the back. And whether this is a kind of um, a new approach that you know maybe hasn't quite clicked yet, but is you know it feels to me like it's it's part of a bigger plan rather than just a random uh, occurrence. Yeah, when you when you look at the XG for this season, uh, is there much difference? Yeah, it's down to one point three. So I've actually I can run it for every season from twenty thirteen fourteen onwards, um, and this is by far the lowest um, XG per game the City have recorded. So 1.3 this season. The next lowest is 1.7 in 2015-16. In um, obviously, a bit of a transitional season with knowing that, that Guardiola was about to come in. So, yeah, and then after that, you've got 1.9 and 1 14-15 and 16-17. And then 13-14, um, obviously, Championship season, 2.1, 2.1 in 17-18, 2.2 in 18-19. So they're, they're actually outperforming, uh, last season they actually outperformed the, the Guardiola title. Uh, yeah, title last season. year. Yeah, last year the XG per game was the best uh, ever seen um, by City in the Premier League season for which we have data and I've been pretty sure that, you know, even Stuart Pearce's team probably didn't <laughs> exceed 2.5. So, yeah, I mean, but I think obviously the issues there were at the back and we saw that repeatedly both in the Premier League and in Europe where, you know, defensive issues um, were, the, were the kind of Achilles heel. And I honestly think that this is the reason it's tightened up a bit this season a little bit. Obviously, we've lost some key players like David Silva, but it feels to me like Guardiola is trying something slightly different, um, trying to become a little bit more... Uh, defensively solid um, and at the moment as with any team you know you've seen it with with various teams in the Premier League where you know you, you tweak one bit and maybe it affects another area of the pitch but that doesn't mean that the approach is necessarily wrong it, it just might take a little while for it to you know to to you know be, be perfected but um, so yeah unusual numbers to see so far but not necessarily worrying I would say because I think you know there's, there's a lot of improvement to come. Yeah, there's. I mean, just looking at the number of shots that City are taking as well, they they are down on last season per game as well. Um, is there? Can you read anything into the into the quality of the shots they're taking? Do you have a Do you have like a, an xG value for the for, for where they're shooting from? Well, xG is is essentially that. I mean, it is essentially the you know if you if you shoot from from a couple of yards out in six yard box like Raheem Sterling was doing a lot a few seasons ago then your xg numbers will, will be massive and i think you know city haven't got into those positions as much this season and that is probably the reason why the xg is lower but if you think about it you know gabriel jesus has only just come back aguero's barely played for months you know they are the, essentially the two players that either get to those shots or do decoy runs that allow someone like Sterling to to mop up afterwards. So again, it it should improve over the next you know month or two as Jay Z's is back and Aguero's back. So yeah, I'd, I would expect an improvement, but at the same time, um, you know, you look at the uh, the chances created in the Premier League this season. Um, De Bruyne's joint second behind Salah. 21, De Bruyne and Bruno Fernandes on 20. But then the next highest um, City player is uh, Cancelo, who's below the likes of, you know, Leandro Trossard, Luca Dean, Andros Townsend. Um, or that is, in fact, he's level with those on 11. But, you know, that's not the sort of City numbers we've been used to, really. And I think, 
you know, it is, it's a combination of losing a few key players and, and possibly a different approach. But at the same time, in Europe, it's working a treat. And I think, you know, that's ultimately the holy grail, isn't it? So, um, yeah, the league season is a long, is a long campaign and uh, there's plenty of time for, for City to make up ground, I think. Yeah, we've we've touched on the defensive side of of things for City and and, and how that certainly uh, to the to the naked eye looks like it's improving this season, especially with uh, the arrival of Ruben Diaz. Um, and we you know we said on the podcast last season uh, when you get XG, you also get an XG against. So I mean, how are City faring up data wise with their defending? Yeah, pretty good. I mean, bizarrely, it's a very odd season as we've talked about. And I think um, if you look at XG against this season. Um, the big six are not having a great campaign. That Chelsea are currently best um, in terms of XG against with seven point four, um, which is ironic because you know obviously that if you went back a month or so and said which team are having defensive issues, you'd, you'd probably say Chelsea. But you know they changed the goalkeeper. I think Liverpool and City can both attest to the fact that get a reliable goalkeeper in and, and things look a lot better. But then after that, it's Burnley. Brighton, who, if you take out penalties, Brighton have got the best defence in the Premier League this season. And I've said in a few places recently that I actually think they're the most unlucky team in world football. You know, they create <laughs> really good opportunities, got really good defence. You know, every time I watch them, they look really good, but they constantly seem to be about, you know, 16th in the Premier League and, and never win enough. But um, City, uh, there go Southampton, then City. So, yeah, it's working okay, but the gap, City's XG 9.3, as we said, and their XG against 8.7. And that's, you know, that's the kind of difference of a mid-table team. And at the moment, that's where City are. But I think, you know, defensively, it looks okay. And it looks like, as you said, like it's improved. Um, but so just need to sort the attack out and, uh, you know, should be fine. Yeah, probably probably a good idea to stop giving away penalties as well, I guess. <laughs> well, that's the thing. You know, every penalty is not a 0.78 XG. So, yeah, you give away a lot of penalties and that's going to account for a lot of that. So, yeah. That you know, you don't have to be a, a highly paid super manager to realise that's a reasonable tactic. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. That was Duncan Alexander from Opta. Time to finish with Ask the Panel. Uh, get your questions in on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. You can email us as well through the website, bluemoonpodcast.com. And we're on Instagram. Just search for Blue Moon Podcast there. Uh, before we get to any of those questions that have come in, though, uh, a, a quick bit of, uh, of reaction, because as we record this, we've had a uh, suggestion that uh, Manchester United could be looking to sack Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and bring in Roberto Mancini as their next manager. Uh, by the time you hear this, this could all be knocked down and, and uh, he, might, he might have come out and said, no, I'll never go there. Uh, but Gary, first things first, uh, how would you feel if that happened? Well, obviously I wouldn't like it. Um, it makes sense from United's point of view because, let's face it, he's got a, a better success rate at, at Old Trafford than most of their managers have in the last few years. Um, but no, I'd, I'd, I'd hate it really. But I can. It does. Unfortunately, it, it does make sense. It could happen. The, the one thing I would say as a take home from this, Dan, is that the headline that uh, in the mirror uh, has the word "bafflingly" in it. So that, that, <laughs> there is there is a. It's a long stretch, isn't it? Yeah, I've been sort of trying to follow the links and you go, you, you, there's about four links in this chain before you get back to the sort of source of the story, which is Tuto Sport in Italy, which I don't know is the um, most believable source in the world, to be perfectly honest with you. And I think they say there have been suggestions from Paris Saint-Germain and lately from United that they might be interested in him. So it's like, it's very There's, lo- there's lots of conditionals there. Yeah, there. yeah, 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 yeah. 
Yeah, so uh, yeah, he's, he's done. He's done really well with the Italian national team, so it doesn't surprise me that um, other clubs might be looking at him. But I don't know. I, I find it hard to believe that he would go to United just because of the affection he has for City's fans. Yeah. It would be a great way to get get back at the club, I think, for, for how they treated him. But yeah, I think he's. I think he's. Uh, he's a City fan. Yeah, Gary. Is there any? I mean, is there any hope that he'll be back at the Etihad in in future? Not even as a not as a manager, or, or even as an opposition manager. Just like out on the pitch and paraded to the fans when we're all allowed back in. I hope so. I, I really hope so. I love Mancini and, and I'd love to see him back at, at the Etihad as a manager. You know, we, we we can talk about Pep Guardiola moving on at some point. Why not bring Mancini back? I, I'd, I'd have <laughs> Kevin Keegan back as well, though. That, they, that, they were fun days. Uh, right, some of your questions now. Jess Thomas on Twitter asks, uh, of all the things that the media has said about City, why have they decided to complain about Roy Keane's comments about Kyle Walker? It seems like other pundits have said much worse things without City getting involved. And Dan, I, I guess it is a little bit strange that City have gone after this this one particular comment. Yeah, it's an interesting question that. It makes me think um, the sort of personal nature of this one is is what's kind of offended them. And maybe even Kyle Walker himself has kind of said to the club, look, are you going to let him get away with this? Because it was it was outrageous what he said, really, Keen. I mean, and well, it's, just, it's just wrong, isn't it? That's the thing. Yeah, well, it's totally wrong because he, he is a, a, a brilliant footballer. Um, you know, he, he gave that penalty away. He gave a penalty away against Leicester this season. Yeah, Kyle Walker's a foot wrong for City, so he's not watching a lot of Kyle Walker. If that's what he thinks about him. I think you know, Key, um, I do find him quite entertaining personally, um, and I think he has cultivated this kind of personality of of being a kind of like tell it like it is, meat and potatoes kind of. Um, oh, you would never have got away with that back in my day. These modern footballers are all you know idiots and softer shit and all that kind of thing. So I think he, I think he's a, he's leaned a bit too far into that and perhaps regrets his comment. Well. No, I don't know if he does regret it because I don't think he regrets anything. Roy Keane does he? But, um, but yeah, I, I think it was. I think it was. It was right for the club to to let it, let the feelings know about that because it was unacceptable, really. It's interesting you say that because I can't stand him for that entire reason because I don't. I, I think I don't believe him. I think I. I think it feels like he's putting it on for show and. For that reason, I, d- I don't feel like he like he genuinely he genuinely believes a lot of the stuff that he says. And then on top of that, it, it kind of like it gives off this impression of I don't really want to be here. And I just kind of think, well, if you don't want to be there, then you know you have the choice not to be there. You don't have to say yes when Sky Sports asks you to be in the studio. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, Gary, what do, you, what do you make of the situation? Well, I think Roy Keane is, has become what he sort of used to despise when he was playing. He used to hate the pe- the, the the pundits who were sort of out of touch with a modern game in a sense and and would would talk, would say people are idiots or people couldn't do this and couldn't do that and so on and and he used to moan about that as a player so it, it's a bit rich that he's now doing exactly what he hated um mm. but i think a bit like you i mean I, I, with city i mean to be honest he's he, he didn't he call kyle walker an idiot well you can prove that Kyle Walker isn't an idiot you know it's one of it's it's a personal thing is it is it's a real insult and okay it's not in the scheme of things, it's not that bad, I guess. Um, but if Kyle Walker's got upset, then clearly it, it matters, you know, it's, it, it, and it should be down to what Kyle Walker thinks. Um, but for me, I, I, I sort of share your view, really, that he's perhaps doing it just to stoke the, the, the fires a bit more, a bit like certain radio shows that, that one day they'll be completely criticising City, the next day they completely criticise Liverpool for opposite reasons, if you like. It's as if Let's let's see how we can get viewers today. Let's see how we can get listeners, and, and yeah. I think that's this this, this one will go be. viral. That's what that's what'll happen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. It is. What soundbite? What soundbite will we be able to play for the next two weeks? And that's that's the point. 
Yeah, well, uh, this is this is uh, literally. I've just seen this on Twitter right now. I hate breaking news in the middle of a podcast because by the time you all hear this, it's it's hours later than than the thing has happened. (laughs) So you're all well across the story. Uh, But this is I'm gonna just gonna read out now a tweet that has uh, that has been uh, written by Paul Bias, uh, who is a freelance uh, sports journalist in Manchester. Um, Obviously, quite well connected with the Catalan side of the club as well. Uh, He's tweeted, "Morning, everyone. Pep Guardiola and Manchester City have reached an agreement in principle for a new contract." Pep would stay in the Premier League and it could be official shortly. Looks like more than a one-year extension as well. So uh, we'll, hopefully you'll all know more than that when uh, when it happens. But first off, Gary, what's your reaction to that? Well, that means Mancini's not coming back then. <laughs> <laughs> no, no that's, I think that's brilliant news. I really think that's great news because um, if it's true, I mean, I'd like to know how many years it's for, but clearly it sounds like it's it's at least two possibly three, who knows. Um, and I think that's great because I think we need, as fans, we sort of need to know where we're going for the next couple of years because we do feel as if we're in this sort of transition at the moment. So it'd be great to have Pep committed for a number of years and then, you know, we can we can put that one away, not talk about that and crack on and concentrate on winning the league or, or whatever. Yeah, Dan, uh, Pep now, Messi in January. Ooh, I don't know about January, but I think next summer is a possibility. I mean, he's he's again expressed his kind of uh, discontent at the the situation, the atmosphere around him at Barcelona. So um, it looks like he's he's definitely definitely up for it. And um, you know, there was some some chat earlier in the week about um, Aguero potentially wanting to go to Barcelona to play with Messi, and I was like, no, this can't we can't let this happen. We can't. We've got we've got to get Messi um, and and get Guardiola signed down and get Messi coming next summer. So yeah, I'm I'm really if that's the case, I'm really happy. With with that. Just before we move on as well, uh, we can actually hear from Pep Guardiola after signing that new deal at City. Well, as a manager, uh, I have everything that I need. So, especially, I know all the managers will depend on the results. Uh, of course, me as well. And I have to do, we have to win to, to, to continue. But uh, I saw many, many times in the bad moments how the people uh, he support me, uh, of course, uh, Ferran and Chiki, but especially Haldun, our chairman. Like, uh, and this time was the main reason. That's why I decided to to continue. We have a long talk, long talks this week, and uh, all together, and uh, we put and uh, you know, the the both sides to to continue or not, and at the end we decide the best for for all of us is uh, continue because still we have the feeling that still is not unfinished business and still we have, uh, you know, something to do, continue what we have done the last year. So uh, this club uh, won in the recent past, but uh, being all together, we won a lot and we won a lot and we won again. And the target is in this club, like in the past, is not a, a club won a lot of titles, is continue to try to maintain in this structure of the club as long as much as possible. And that's why I still have the desire to help with uh, all fantastic players that we have for the next years, uh, you know, uh, especially our fans, but the whole football proud uh, the way we play and the way we win. <laughs> You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. 
facebook.com forward slash blue moon podcast. That was Pep Guardiola speaking about that new contract that he's just signed at City. I'm going to squeeze in one more question from Ask the Panel. Uh, Carl David on Twitter asks uh, simply, uh, why is Javier Tebas so obsessed with City? Um, if you've not seen his comments, uh, this is uh, this is the comments that he made uh, recently um, about the potential of Messi signing. Uh, it seems the only club in the Premier League that talks about registering Messi is Manchester City, who compete outside the rules. I am not the only one saying this. I am not too worried about them. I have criticised what they do so many times. Doing it one more time makes no difference. City is neither affected by COVID or pandemics or anything because they are financed differently and it is impossible to fight against that. Um, I mean, I, I don't know, Dan, but that feels quite libelous to me. Hello, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not I'm not the uh, sort of person who, who sort of encourages, uh, you know, billionaires to sue other billionaires and kind of thing but I would love to see City take legal action against him personally because I think of all the people who spouted nonsense he's he's the the worst one isn't he I mean this guy such a hypocrite I mean Guardiola's called him out for it as well um he's been you know investigated for tax fraud personally he was the league's president during the uh during a match fixing scandal and I think his beef with Guardiola I think a lot of it stems with that he's against the uh Catalan independence stuff so I think that's why he's he's always kind of uh one of the reasons he's, he's going for City and Guardiola Guardiola anyway, yeah. So I'd love it if they uh, sent the lawyers after him personally. Gary, it's it is a it's been a common thing, hasn't it? This this last kind of eighteen months or so. Uh, you know, what's what's the latest from Tebas on City? Yeah, I know, but I, I find that funny. What line was it? I am not too worried about them. Well, stop talking about them. Then. <laughs> you know, why, why are you talking about them? Um, so he's, he is obs- he, well. I better say allegedly he's obsessed with City, um, but. I think he's he's scared. He's, he he can see the future and he can see what's happening, and he's perhaps realised that you know that the 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 power that certain clubs and certain leagues have had over the last few years uh, are just disappearing, and City are not going away. You know, no matter what they throw at City, the club's not going anywhere. And if anything, it's getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And okay, City may not win certain trophies and may not find success in the Champions League. And that may never happen, right? Because that's football. It may never happen. But we're not going to disappear overnight. And this guy seems desperate for Manchester City to disappear. Um, and it's not going to happen. So let him let him obsess about us. You know, it's a bit it's a bit like how we used to always go on about United going back. You know, we'd always find something to moan about United. And then when we suddenly realised, actually, we we're winning trophies now. We're being successful. We don't we can sort of look down at United, but we can't. We don't. There's no no point in constantly harping on about them because. We, we want to win the Champions League. We want to beat Liverpool to the league title. We want to beat Spurs at weekend. You know, that sort of thing. Um, Tab, for, as far as Tebis is concerned, he, he, he can only see one enemy and that's, that's City. And in a sense, that's good. You know, yeah. if, if we're winding mm. him up, that's great. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm gonna. I, I know I said that was the last question, but I'm gonna squeeze one more in uh, because Adam McDermott on Instagram asks, uh, everyone's talking about Guardiola's contract. We covered that. Um, what about Aguero? Is Dan? Yeah, well, they, they need to get that sorted, really, because, like I said earlier, I, there is a possibility. Well, I guess if um, if Messi's going to come to City, then it's less of a possibility. But that that is something that genuinely worried me—the idea that he could actually want to go to another club that isn't, you know, going back to his hometown club, Independiente. That he might think, "Oh, yeah, I'll 
still got a couple of good years left in me. I, I, I might not bother signing a new contract with City if they're not going to sort of be uh, be very urgent about this. I might I might fancy my chances elsewhere. So yeah, I really hope they get that sorted soon. Um, I'm pretty confident they will do. Uh, I don't think there is much um, desire on his part to leave, but um, yeah, it's it's a bit of a worry at the moment. Um, and yeah, I hope they get it sorted soon. Are you nervous, Gary? You can talk to other clubs in a couple in about six weeks. I'm very nervous. I actually worry more about player contracts when I do manager contracts because a manager doesn't tend. It's you know, manage plenty of managers have operated without contracts for for a period of time, and and it's never seen. It's never really been an issue. Obviously, they could move on, but it's never been too much of an issue. But with a player, as soon as a player's contract runs out, they seem to be targeted. They seem to be wanted. They seem to move on. Um, a club gets nothing for them, or you know, or, or stands no chance uh, in in sort of doing a sensible negotiation. It's just over. And Aguero is too valuable to us to uh, to to just let that happen. We we need him to have a, a new contract, and even if it is just for a year, you know, or, or, or whatever, just just get something agreed. And then yeah. we can just kick, we just can kick that on. can down the road. That's all you need to do a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, in a sense, yeah, because you know we just don't know what the next year is going to bring because of everything else. But but I, I mean, I'd sign him up until the end of his career, obviously, if I could. But uh, yeah, I think he need, it's got to be sorted. Yeah. Right, well, that's it for this week's episode of the show. Thank you very much for listening. Please go and give it a rating and a review in all the usual places. It really does help drive more people to the show, and that helps us pay the bills with the ads as well. If you'd like some extra Blue Moon podcast, our show for Patreon backers is also available. Have a look at patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon podcast, and it's just $2 per month. We always say it's at least 15 minutes long, but most of this season have been half an hour or so, and today's is no different. Uh, Plus, there's a free hour-long version from last week available as well, looking at all the players who have played for both with each of City's Champions League opponents this year. Today's extra show is looking at the players who have shared history with City and Spurs. Thanks also to my guests for today's show, Gary James. Thank you. And Dan Burke. Always a pleasure. I'll be back with you next week, so I'll see you then. Well, I wasn't expecting that.